If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Jennifer, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 175 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for another classic episode. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Sorry, I didn't mean to hulk out on you like that. But my guest today is Pat Jankowitz. That's right, Pat Jankowitz, author of You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, A Hulk Companion. That's right, an episode-by-episode companion of the legendary Kenneth Johnson series, The Incredible Hulk, starring Lou Ferrigno and Bill Bixby. And we're getting Bixby'd, we're getting Ferrigno'd, we're getting it all with Pat Jankowitz, expert and guide to all things The Incredible Hulk. I'm excited. You should be excited, especially the part about the She-Hulk that could have been. All that's coming up in just a few seconds. I am excited to point out that this completes a trilogy of episodes. Episode 41 with Kenneth Johnson, the creator of The Incredible Hulk TV series, and episode 138, with Eric Allen Kramer, who plays Thor in The Incredible Hulk Returns. All mentioned a lot in my interview with Pat Jankowitz. So enjoy those episodes after this one. Also, don't forget to enjoy, if you haven't already, episode 174 with George Chikiris, Bernardo from the original West Side Story. I'm snapping. I don't, anyway, if you're a jet or a shark, you're going to love that episode. So check out George Shakiris, Hollywood legend. But before you do that, I'm going to turn it over to my conversation with Pat Jankowitz and our deep dive into the Incredible Hulk TV series. Do, do, do. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. I got a special guest today. Detroit's own Pat Jankowitz, author of You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, a Hulk companion. He is the world-renowned expert on all things TV, Hulk, Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby. Lucky to have him. We're going to talk Hulk. What's up, Pat? The pleasure is mine, Jeffrey. I like the deep voice of my name. Thank you. And the, the Detroit Tiger hat and shirt. I can almost hear Hart Plaza behind you. <laughs> <laughs> so it's great to have you here. I love the Incredible Hulk TV show. It was one of my favorite shows growing up. So when I found out you wrote a book on it, I was really excited. Lou Ferrigno is one of the people I met once at a Comic-Con. I have a photo with him. When I post yeah. this episode, I'll use it. And I have his autograph and the picture of uh, signed Hulk on the wall. Growing up, in my memories of the, of the show you know, very fond and 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 the uh, the movies that follows. I mean, we can talk through the some of the highlights of the of the actual series, and then some of those return movies that sort of put a, a capper onto the the whole thing. And some of the w- almost could have been like She Hulk and stuff like that. What got you into the Hulk, like to write this book? As a Marvel kid, you're you're so used to TV movies and everything disappointing you. I mean. I loved Spider-Man, but in the 70s Spider-Man series, they had some heart, but they, more often than not, Spider-Man would be in car chases and all this other stuff that wasn't really Spider-Man. With the Hulk comic, any, any kid who read Marvel comics knew there was a sense of sadness and regret to the character. And when Kenneth Johnson's movies and TV series, he got that perfect. I mean, he was literally teaching nine-year-old melancholy, which is really amazing, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. The whole series is about regret. The whole series is about a guy trying to find a way to stop the series you're watching. That's meta. It is true. From day one, he's just saying, I got to end this. I got to end this now. Exactly. Even in the pilot, he's trying to, well, I guess in the pilot, he accidentally makes the problem, but then, uh, and then he has to kind of make up for that for those 82 episodes. Oh, very good. More if you're counting the two, the pilot split into two parters. And the TV movies. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
So what, what do you think, Seth? I watched the pilot recently, actually. And so I watched, I watched the pilot and then I watched Death in the Family, which is uh, kind of the second pilot, but the first two episodes of the series. I got to say, like, it holds up as a series is like uh, kind of the way they approached it. And when I say it holds up, obviously the transformation into the Hulk was of the time, right? So that's not like compared to now where you got Mark Ruffalo or Ed Norton or Eric Bana changing into the Hulk. This was of the time, but in terms of the story and how they approached it and the seriousness and, and the non-cheesy factor, it really, it was an enjoyable watch. Yeah, and I think one of the reasons you've got to give it is, is having a human Hulk not going into this valley in the uncanny with this giant inflated CG character. I think there's a lot of heart. I mean, you know, when you watch the show, they make it clear that Bill Bixby is Lou Ferrigno. You know, they behave the same way. Bill Bixby's banner is very much a humanist, and he's looking out for people, and he's always worried about people. And you can see that concern with the, the Lou Ferrigno character. You know, when the, when the Hulk comes in, Bixby's character is always preaching tolerance and nonviolence. So you can see it makes sense that his Hulk wouldn't just ball up his fists and start punching people. And Kenneth Johnson told me his big fear was that you would want Hulk to punch out his way out of every problem. And by doing that, by not having a Hulk ball up his fists and knock out Martin Cove or whoever the, well, Martin Cove wasn't one of the villains, but, you know, Charles Napier or whoever the villain of the week was, it made it a more interesting show. Yeah. It's Marvel's first cinematic universe entry. The Hulk more than Spider-Man and the, the terrible Doctor Strange pilot, the Hulk more than Spider-Man showed the general public what Marvel comics could do. To me, it's the colonization of the public. The Hulk TV series went on the air when DC Comics was at full strength with Superman the movie and Wonder Woman the series and Super Friends the cartoon. Marvel showed up and they showed what they could do. And I would argue that show probably in the TV movies before and after did more to convert to people to Marvel Comics than anything until like 2000's X-Men movie. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah, because when you think back to the Hulk, you do think back to the TV show. When you think back to the Hulk TV show, you always kind of think Wonder Woman too. You kind of think of them together. And then Bionic Man and Bionic Woman. Not an accident. They had the same guest stars. Yeah, it's funny. I just rewatched I just rewatched the pilot of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. And it's yeah. kinda it's like a little mini movie, the first one. It's kind of funny. Steve Austin. No, no, it's Steve Trevor. Steve, Steve, right here. What kind of fake nerd are you, Dwarskin? <laughs> I know, I know. My, my, I lost myself for a second. Steve Trevor, you know, gets shot down, gets onto the island. It's it's kind of a similar to the first Wonder Woman movie. Some of the, the beats were the same in terms of uh, how that worked. But uh, it was interesting how they portrayed Nazis and all that kind of stuff. That pilot was shot in Catalina. The blonde is really charming. The blonde Amazon who helps find Steve Trevor on the beach Ah, I'm blanking on her name, but I've interviewed her. She'll be in an upcoming book. She's the girl. She's one of the Glamazons on Batman who put Batman, Robin, and Batgirl into a human Siamese knot. She told me the hardest part about filming the pilot is they have them in these stiletto heels and they kept sinking into the sand when they're supposed to rescue Steve Trevor. (laughs) That's funny. And Cloris Leachman played Linda Carter's mother. Cloris Leachman is the Queen Hippolyta. But here's the weird thing. Wonder Woman had like three moms during the run of the series, including the beautiful Carolyn Jones from the Adams Family. Interesting. Interesting. Speaking of Adams Family, the Lurch. Ted Cassidy. (laughs) Ted Cassidy had a big role in The Incredible Hulk. Would you like to reveal that? Because actually, I didn't realize that until I read your book. (laughs) Oh, I'm honored. Yeah, Ted Cassidy is the famous narrator, Dr. David Banner, in the opening credits. And he was the roar of the Hulk. And ironically, the same year he did that, he turned around and he did uh, the voice of the thing on the all new Fantastic Four cartoon. Ted died in the second season. You know, he died, I think, at 49 or 50 of open heart surgery on an operating table. And Kenny Johnson decided he did such a great job as the voice of, uh, as the, the voice of the opening credits. He decided not to replace him. But he knew he would need more growls and different types of growls and confusion sounds from the Hulk. So he called in one of the bad guys of that week's episode, Charlie Napier, Charles Napier, who is the head of the good old boys from Blues Brothers. Right. And he's, he's one of the, he's the lead space hippie from uh, Star Trek. Yes. 
Yeah. So he called him in, goes, do you think, do you think you could do the voice of the Hulk? And I was so pleased. I got Charles Napier like six months before he died. He grabbed my tape recorder and he goes, this is what I did for Kennedy. He goes, it was easier doing the Hulk when I was smoking. (laughs) (laughs) He said he could bring him more phlegm. (laughs) That's really funny. Yeah. I think I remember, I remember at any time just being able to be like David Bruce Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strength that all humans humans have. Then an accidental (laughs) overdose of gamma radiation interacts with his unique body chemistry. And now whenever David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Sure. And I would, I go, do, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> that's when they cut, that's what they cut to their <laughs> and they, they play a, yeah the bump 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 they play a snippet of uh there's a song growing anger bump 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 the growing anger you know you know the growing anger theme you hear whenever banner is about to change that was joe harnell doing the tchaikovsky's rite of spring backwards <laughs> oh jeez it's a rite of spring backwards it's brilliant with that opening credits, though, if you'd seen the one Hulk or no Hulk or 50 Hulks, it immediately tells you who everybody is. You know about Jack McGee. You know about Banner's on the run, searching for a solution, and that he's the Hulk. It's like the thing that Marvel Comics used to have, where they'd have two lines at the top of every comic book telling you who Bruce Banner, Peter Parker, Steve Rogers is. You read those two lines as a kid. Okay, that's who he is. I, I'm going to go with it. This is what the comic's about. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it hurt that don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry was in the opening. One of the greatest lines ever. The great thing about that line is Kenny Johnson's story, because you got that that line. Hulk was a 15 year old character and he wasn't a very particularly successful character. You know, in Marvel, they originally canceled the, the first one of the Incredible Hulk was canceled at issue six. And so what happened is Kenneth Johnson took this 15 year old character. And he added that line and then became part of the Hulk. That line is as joined to the Hulk as Hulk smash, you know, which everyone knows in the comics, Hulk smash is the, the greatest line associated with the Hulk. But the comics adopted, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And Johnson wrote it. And he said, when Bill Bixby delivered the line, he, he kept messing it up. And Bill Bixby goes, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And he grabbed Bixby and he goes, Bill, it's a joke. And he goes, oh, got it. So when he says that long drawn out, don't make me angry, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. That's for you, the audience, to laugh at because you and the audience knows what's going to happen when he gets angry. It's such a brilliant line. I mean, just to me, that's almost the Hulk's equivalent of with great power. In the Avenger movie, they sort of call it back. Yeah. My secret, I'm always angry. <laughs> that is the most Bixby they've ever put into Ruffalo, God bless him, was doing Bixby right down. I think there's even a shot of him in denim at one point. It was a complete Ed Norton threw in some brew some some Bill Bixby banner into his characterization. A banner I thought was almost too morose. You know what I mean? I mean, because Bill Bixby is always you can tell he's pained and saddened by what's happened to him, but he's, he still has hope. Whereas I think Eric Banner played him without hope. And Norton did a pretty good job. He threw in some Bixby-isms. But Ruffalo and Joss Whedon were deliberately going for Bill Bixby, and I think they get it. Getting the Hulk right in Avengers is one of the reasons the first film was such a blockbuster. Yeah, I agree. They, they finally, because while I enjoyed the movies, The Incredible Hulk, and well, I enjoyed The Incredible Hulk with Ed Norton more than I enjoyed the Eric Bana one. But when The Avengers, it was clear the Hulk is a great team member. It's a great, when he's part of an ensemble, the Hulk works best in the movies, which I think is why I think that the Thor movie, Ragnarok, also was great because the two of them together, it was just a good, good chemistry, which spoiler was first done in the Hulk TV show, but we can get to that later. By the way, the the Eric Kramer who played the original Thor is a Michigander like us. Well, you'll have to, we'll have to call him later. (laughs) No, he's great. I, my kids got to know him through Good Luck Charlie, and I'd always be like, that's Thor. And then okay, maybe. you know what? It's funny you should say that. I interviewed him for my book in his dressing room on the first five episodes of Good Luck Charlie. It hadn't yet been on the air. And the little girl, the, the main girl on Good Luck Charlie, kept coming into our uh, into his dressing room during our interview. And she goes, 
I just want to watch someone getting interviewed. And of course, she became a huge star after that thing went out there. I enjoyed that TV show. It was a fun one to watch with the kids because Tim and his wife were just, I found hilarious. So it was, it was definitely something, definitely something easy to watch with the kids who were obsessed with all those Disney type shows. But that's the hilarious thing. If you look at the picture in my book, this, we, we shot the interview. We, we did the interview and uh, it was 110 in the valley. Everyone was sweating their guts out. And poor Eric, is, if you'll see the picture of him in my book, he's wearing a Santa Claus outfit because in July they were shooting the Christmas episodes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, we'll, get, we'll get more to Eric and Thor in a little bit. Sure, sure. So what were some of the, the issues that Kenneth Johnson had with, specifically with Stan Lee in getting this adaption made the way? Because there were definitely changes made yeah, even his name isn't Bruce Banner, right? So that's where Stan came in. Stan was sort of the gatekeeper. He didn't want to get burned like he did on Spider-Man, you know, where he got a consultant credit. And then they, you know, and there's no super villains. Spider-Man doesn't, Spider-Man is quiet. Instead of doing the smart thing, when they had the stunt guy doing all the stunts of Spider-Man, they kept Spider-Man quiet. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to, to have a, to have Nicholas Hammond make wisecracks, but they would never do that. He talked more on Spidey Super Stories and the Electric Company than he did on the show. Loves Spider-Man so on Electric Company. Exactly, exactly. Uh, with Morgan Freeman as easy reader, by the way. <laughs> of course, of course. Hey, don't get angry, but I need to take a quick break and thank you all for your support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations, and that's how we keep the lights on. And now back to my amazing conversation with Pat Jankowitz. We're about to dive deeper into the Kenneth Johnson Stanley negotiations. And we're back. But Stanley acted as kind of a gatekeeper. And I think he and Johnson went back and forth early on. The second pilot, which you just watched, Stan wanted the bear to be a robot bear. <laughs> you know, he thought the fight would be more intense if the Hulk had torn away part of the bear's face and you would see he's a robot. And he goes, and he goes, why can't it be a robot? Johnson goes, he goes, you made Bigfoot a robot. Why can't the bear be a robot? Did we make the fight more savage? And he had to tell him, well, Stan, Six Million Dollar Man, robotics are what every episode's about. So, you know, I mean, the underlying thing in every episode is robotics. And he goes, here, I'm trying to play at the real world. And he goes, it's a big enough buy that Bill Bixby turns into a giant monster. If the bad guy has unleashed a robot bear on him, the audience will be wondering where he got the money and how he got to do it. Right. There's only there's only so much uh, an audience can accept in any given in moment. Once you push that too far. It... Exactly. But one of the things Johnson wanted to do that Stan, to his credit, was adamant on not changing. He wanted to make the Hulk red because he thought anger was the color red, like the button at the beginning of the credits. And Stan said, no, 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 the Hulk is green. The Hulk is green. The Hulk is green. He can't be red. And I think that was that was the appropriate hill for him to die on, to maintain the look of the character. He also protested when they changed his name. And the compromise he and Kenny Johnson came up with was to put Bruce Banner as the middle name on the grave. Right. And would you see every episode? You see a nice tight close-up at the end of the opening credits. Yeah. You know what I mean? You see before he goes on the road. I think they, they both had territorial disputes, but I think they both made a good point doing it. The Hulk not being red makes no sense to me. Every, everything the Hulk TV series proposed, a golden She-Hulk, a red Hulk, Marvel Comics adapted decades later under Jeff Loeb. And even but the reason he's green is more just because of the way the color printing was. Right? Originally, I think he was gray, right? Yeah, Stan wanted them to look gray, basically like Frankenstein in the black and white Boris Karloff movie. And... They couldn't make gray a consistent color. But if you look at the cover of Hulk number one, they, when, when they do one of the reprints, where they, because most of the covers of Hulk number one just slop a green tone on him. But the ones that do it accurately run the gray Hulk on the cover. It's not a bad look, but I think the green Hulk is so iconic. Right. I think even if they had done it, I think looking back now, it would be weird. <laughs> it just, yeah. it, it would be a disconnect now. I think the fact that he is green then helps. So are there, were there any, kind of major changes. I mean, obviously they, some of the minor plots were changed slightly for the TV show, but kind of kept like the gamma radiation was similar, but. They're hinting he's changed by sunspots and you're like, wait, wait a minute. Sunspots didn't create the Hulk and they make it a point of playing up the gamma radiation, which I appreciated. Okay, so we have the opening movie, the first, oh, oh, wait, before. Lou Ferrigno as the Hulk. So Lou Ferrigno was not the first choice to play the Hulk. 
No, sir, he was not. It was Mr. Richard Keel, a Detroit, Michigan native, by the way. Everything in the Hulk show ties back to Michigan. Anything, listen to me. If you look at my book, anytime anybody in that cast or crew is in Michigan, I mention it. <laughs> Local <laughs> pride, baby. He's as Detroit as town club. <laughs> Richard Keel, for those who visually need a visual, Jaws from the James Bond movies. And the seven-foot bald cannibal from Twilight Zone to serve men. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, we talked about everything. And, uh, of course, the prisoner, the, the prison football movie, oh, God, Longest Yard, my brother Donald adds hastily to me. Yeah, the long, the prison guard from the long, I mean, the prisoner from the Longest Yard. But he was the Hulk. The ironic thing is he was the Hulk. He got the gig. And the producer, Frank Price, the Universal Studios executive, brought him from Flint, Michigan, brought his, <laughs> yeah, he's from Michigan, too. The guy who okayed Howard the Duck. So, uh, which it cost him his job at Universal years later. So what happened is he brings his teenage son. He has like a 14-year-old son. He brings to the set and they're shooting by that lake. And that's the lake. The little girl, you know, now adult actor, the, the, the actress, she's an adult, not an adult actress, but in the, the chick from Repo Man, she's swimming in the pond. And they, he's, she said, you know, when she falls into the water, one of the crew, one of the Teamsters decided to play a joke on her mom and leans over and tells her, do you know this water? The water was perfect, of course, because they use it in movies to this very day. It's in Malibu Creek State Park. But one of the crew tells her mother, you know, while her daughter is swimming around the pond, she goes, you know, we never shoot here because they call it polio pond. So the mother for the rest of the day is terrified. Her baby is drinking, drinking all this bad water that will give her polio. So it was Richard Keel. And Frank Price brought his teenage son, and the teenage son went on to become a director and actually did one of the Leprechaun movies. And he's a re- he's a big restaurateur out in Beverly Hills now. So he comes down to the set with his dad, and he's a big Marvel Comics fan, and he sees Richard Kill come out of the trailer, green skin, uh, the wig, the torn shirt. And in front of all these Universal execs, the only kid on set goes, that guy ain't the Hulk. <laughs> no. <laughs> Spending a lot of money on this pilot and, and about 15 Universal executives plots. And they realized, Kenny Johnson goes, they realized we, uh, Dick wasn't giving us the visual we needed because the Hulk has to be muscular. So for reshoots, they shot part of the day with Keel, of course. And the only shot of him as the Hulk, you see in the upside down camera shot of him pushing the tree over. That's the only Richard Keel shot you have left in the pilot. Mm. And he, he's, he's long and tall. Not muscular. He looks more like um, he looks more like Dick Durock does in the Evil Hulk episode in season four, the first. Right, right, right. You know, and and so when you had him doing that, they realized they couldn't have him as the Hulk. So they auditioned a bunch of people, and the two the two who came closest to being the Hulk were Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, and Lou Ferrigno. And Arnold's only five ten. That's one of the big ugly secrets about Arnold. But Louis is 6'4". And so he said, even though Louis was deaf, he looked more like the comic book Hulk than Arnold. And Kenneth Johnson said to Arnold's credit, he was the one who told him, you ought to go see Lou Ferrigno. When they were commenting, we'll have to give you lifts, which would be hard because he's barefoot. Right. So they went with with Lou. And even though Lou was deaf, he said he tried very hard. He gave them the visual. And he said, and of course, Louis was a perfect Hulk. I mean, Kenneth Johnson... He, he can't watch the show without wincing about how bad Hulk's hair was. He goes, that's the one thing on the show he never got. Trying to find a way to make him inflate on, on camera was hard, but getting the Hulk's hair to look normal and cool was always his battle on the show. Oh, no. Yeah, it's uh, sometimes because they use the wig to sort of cover up the hearing aids, right? Yeah, and in fact, one of the horror stories on, on the book is Louie actually smacked one of the makeup artists who started slapping green paint on the hearing aid. Oh, <laughs> and he goes, of course, it was like a shotgun shell going off on Lou's ear when this guy started throwing, uh, started smacking red paint on, or green paint on it. Talk to me a little bit about Bill Bixby, because here's Bill's coming off courtship of Eddie's father. I mean, he's he's got a pedigree when it, it comes, and now he's going to be doing a superhero show, which at the time probably wasn't seen as the most prestigious next move. What made him want to do it? I mean, obviously he was amazing and, and turned it into something very special, but what, what was that 
like for him to make this his such a big project? This is where he deserves a lot of credit. Up until this point, anybody playing a TV superhero was an unknown. Linda Carter, Van Williams, Bruce Lee, Adam West, Burt Ward, they were all essential unknowns to the audience. Established actors wouldn't do that sort of thing because it was deemed childish and everything at the time. So for Bill Bixby to agree to do this, and I talked to Bill Bixby's agent is in the book, Paul Brandon. Every now and then I would find when I was going after someone from the book, I was interviewing an actress who guest starred on The Hulk. Uh, I went to the really, really nice place in Marina Del Rey, and I realized she was married to Bill Bixby's agent. And Bill Bixby's agent is this tough New York type who doesn't want to answer any questions. And I literally, before we, she and I did the interview, I go, I have to talk to you about this. I have to talk to you about this. He wouldn't talk about the death of Christopher Bixby, Bixby's son, but he would talk about what I made him do. And I, I can't make the guy do anything, but you know what I mean? What I convinced him to talk about was how he got Bill Bixby to do the pilot. Bill Bixby had been offered a script for some big TV miniseries, you know, to appear in, because he was coming off Rich Man, Poor Man, which was a huge hit, which he helped direct. And he was going to say, he wasn't sure about the superhero script. He didn't want to be a superhero, but he liked the script a lot by Kenneth Johnson. Like you said, it's, it still holds up. I mean, the character of David Banner is really interesting in that script. Gave it to Paul Brandon, his agent, to read. And Paul told him, uh, he goes, you know, this is a great script. You know, and he goes, this is the quality of the show. You ought to do it. And Bill Bixby wasn't sure. And he looked over and he goes, Bill, Gene Hackman and Marlon Brando are doing a Superman. I just have a feeling about this. And he turned out to be literally true. And of course, Superman, the movie was great too, but he, and so Bixby thought, I don't want the usual bait and switch where you see a great pilot in the series is terrible. So he made a handshake agreement with Kenneth Johnson that Kenneth Johnson calls his deal with the devil. He literally told him, I'll do the show as long as you do the show. You leave the show, I'm going to leave the show. So Kenneth Johnson had to stay with the series. What happened, he was having problems with Lindsay Wagner on The Bionic Woman. And so when he bailed on The Bionic Woman, Lindsay Wagner was having issues at the time, and one of the problems was directed at him. So when he left The Bionic Woman, he was literally able to step in and write and direct Incredible Hulk. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation with Pat Jankowitz, but we got to take a quick break. And we're back with Pat Jankowitz, diving deeper into Kenneth Johnson's role with the show. And we're back. He did the beginning of every season, except for uh, he missed a season. I think he missed season two. No, no, he did season two. I think he missed season three, but he came back for season four. But he directed the beginnings, of the pilot, the first pilot for every season. You know, he did uh, Married, with the, which which won unheard of. It won, uh, uh, it won Married Hartley, the uh, the best actress at the Emmys that year. With Bixby, Bixby was in an uncomfortable position where he literally became the main character he was playing. This guy whose family is dead and he's running with full of regret. Bill Bixby, when he did the show, was getting into a divorce with his wife, Brenda Panay. And Brendan Brene was an actress who'd been in love with him since she did an episode of Courtship and Eddie's father, and they got married, and they had a baby. The kid, when they got the divorce, the kid went with the, with Brenda and her new boyfriend, producer-actor Don Edmonds, who was in the Elsa series, the she Wolf, Elsa she Wolf movie series. Their kid, Christopher, I think was five or six. He, on a ski trip, he got epiglottitis, which one in five million children get. It's really, really rare. And the fact that they were in a ski hospital that was used to treating broken elbows and sprained legs, they didn't know how to treat it. And they said a, uh, a tracheotomy would have saved his life. Well, they thought, you know, his throat was closing up. He was unable to breathe. So they weren't able to save him. He died. Bixby became a shell of a man. I talked to so many people on the cast and the crew, guest stars, and they were literally watching the guy fall apart. And Universal was actually on the verge of suing him back to work. Patrick Boyriven, who directed the episode The Sun Died On, you know, you know, uh, when he got the news and everything else, he said an attorney, an attorney for Universal's Black Tower came down to make sure Bixby reported to work. And he said Bixby couldn't keep his, his head straight. He was weeping. He, he would go veer from his dialogue to suddenly talking about the pain and how much pain he was in, how his heart was breaking. He became almost psychotically angry at Brenda, blaming her for the child's death. 
And then when, uh, uh, almost on the anniversary, Brenda Bonet killed herself. And they said after that, Bixby had no chance of closure. And he got very, very dark. Some of them even suggested he wished his cancer onto himself. Such a tragic story. So, so sad. Yeah, he literally became the main character. You, that's why he's so good in the final seasons. And usually in a show, when a guy's playing a character a long time, they start to slough off. But he seems even more banner in the final seasons than he was in the, the second season. And that's because he became banner. Right, life imitating art or however Exactly. Because yeah. remember, she played a woman who committed suicide over the death of a child on the Incredible Hulk episode, The Psychic. And the right. writer, the writer of that episode, she she goes, oh, it was a stupidly prophetic. I wish I never wrote it. Hmm. Oh, man. So, yeah, that was I didn't I didn't really know any of that, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I knew he eventually gets sick. And I remember during the Blossom years when he passed away and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't, I didn't know that about the tragedy until I was reading your book. And thanks for even putting more light on it right here. Well, you know, Lonnie Anderson told me when he was directing Blossom, she was doing the show Nurses Next Door. She went by and she she told me he was one of the most handsome. She dated him. And she told me she he was one of the most handsome men she ever knew. And then to come see him so sick, so in pain, so doubled over with the stomach cancer that was claiming his life, that he's using a chair. He's, he's hunched over a chair facing forward. He stooped over. Not sitting down, because he was in pain when he sat down, pain when he stood up. So he's hunched over this chair directing an episode of Blossom. Yeah, I, it's tragic just to think about it. Just uh, what disease can do to someone. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it Yeah, I know, you brought, it, you brought the whole <laughs> show down. All right. I'm <laughs> hey, so sorry, you guys. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's talk about Kenneth Johnson. Kenneth Johnson made an amazing show out of The Incredible Hulk. But he also made one of my favorite shows of all time, which is V, or the miniseries is V. I don't know that the TV show is one of my favorites, but the miniseries, the original miniseries, V. The original miniseries is brilliant. And V, the final battle, I enjoyed. You know, I was, I was young, but I, the first one. Hey, don't apologize. I mean, I like V, the final battle was directed by a great TV director named Richard Heffron. His son is a big producer now, and his son produced the Spider-Man movies. It's just Richard Heffron did a lot of great movies. He did track down with uh, uh, Eric Estrada and Ann Archer. He's done. He did a lot of great stuff. V the final battle is a lot of fun. And, and Kenneth Johnson's V. I mean, you can see them steal so much for Independence Day and everything else. It's not even funny. Oh, yeah. Well, Independence Day, I think, stole purposely from everyone. But even the, the remake of V wasn't too bad. They, I, I think they had given it some time that, that would have caught on. But I I love the original V with Mark Singer and all that, the whole crew. I know a lot of them were even in the Hulk, uh, a lot of those actors, but it was... Mickey Jones, Mickey Jones. Yeah, Mickey, Mickey Jones. Jones who, he was also a drummer for Bob Dylan. Unfortunately, I got him... Fortunately, I got him when he was on the way out, but he's so good in V. I mean, V is such a blast. You look at Mark Singer and, you, and I mean... Uh, uh, I'm blanking on her name, but the wonderful actress who played Diana. You have uh, one of the great aliens is one of my favorite B-movie actors. Uh, the guy, Andrew Prime from Grizzly. And he was on Kolshak the Night Stalker. He's, I think he's fantastic in B. I mean, Johnson basing V on the Nazis rolling into Vichy, France, and saying, we're your friends, we're going to protect you from the Poles, and then attacking them. He wanted to do something about the Nazis coming into France. Well, nobody in 80s TV wanted that much of a donor, so he made them aliens, and everyone loved it. Right. It was brilliant. It was, yeah, Holocaust allegory. It was it was really, really well done. And I just I just remember, I mean, to this day, I just remember, it was something that I watched with my dad. It was it was really, really great. So he, he definitely has a, an excellent pedigree. And he did, he did Bionic Man and Bionic Woman, too, or just, just well, the Bionic he, Woman? He came on, he came on to Six Million Dollar Man. He's the guy who kick-started Six Million Dollar Man into cool. I mean, Six Million Dollar Man had been kind of a spy show. It was just like a superpower James Bond. When he came on to it, he brought all the, the future elements, the Bigfoot, all the weird, cool alien stuff. That came from Johnson. Very cool. So you got you got all these interesting names connected with the Hulk. So talk talk me through. So the it, the whole uh, show was interesting. I saw somebody post on Facebook. I wish I could remember who it was. Just someone on my feed was like, "Hey, I hate to break it to everyone, but the Mandalorian is just a remake of the Hulk. Just a guy going town to town." And by the <laughs> way, he's exactly right. And the yeah. the Hulk itself was the fugitive. 
And I remember as a kid watching The Hulk and my mom would laugh and go, that's just The Fugitive. And I never heard of The Fugitive. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah, Kenneth Johnson didn't want to admit it was a fugitive knockoff. He said something like, um, he goes, I was doing Les Miserables, you know, by Victor Hugo. And he can say that all he wants. He named the, he named, he said he named Banner after his son, David. And I would argue that's true. But I think subconsciously, the, he named Banner David subconsciously after David Jansen, the star of The Fugitive. And by <laughs> the way, The Hulk and the Hulk uses a ton of guest stars from The Fugitive. Harry Towns, the evil Hulk, the guy who plays Fry, who turns into the evil Hulk. Harry Towns was unmemorably on several episodes of The Fugitive. There was a lot of uh, contract players that went from show to show back then. And the hilarious thing is Bixby dated half the women who guest starred on the show. <laughs> he was a player. He was a complete player. I mean, if you want a good story after we're done, read the Earthquakes Happen chapter of my book. <laughs> about that episode it's the one girl who do wasn't going to give in to bixby and she goes she says the makeup girl told her what to prepare for it was pretty funny do you have any stories on how the song came about dun, dun, dun. yeah that, the lonely man you know lonely man kenneth johnson said he was done with bombast he said every universal show from that period bum, 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 everything's bombastic Look at the theme to Battlestar Galactica. Look at the theme to, you know, the, the theme to Six Million Dollar Man. It's all bum, 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 big organ. Even Twincy has, a, you know. So he wanted to do something opposite that. And he said he sat down with uh, uh, well, Harnell, the composer, Joe Harnell, Harnell, whose son, Jess Harnell, is the voice on Picky and the Brain and the, the, in the uh, uh, Animaniacs. He sat down with him and he told Joe Harnell, I really want, it's a, it's a guy on his own. He's all alone. He doesn't have anyone. And he said, Hartnell hit the piano. Bing, 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 bing. He gives me like this. And he said, yeah, that's perfect. And of course, him hitchhiking to get away. I, none of us realized this. Kids, that's the ending of the Fugitive TV series every week. Except the, the, on the Fugitive, he's doing it in a three-piece suit instead of a windbreaker or, or khakis or a lumberjack shirt. You know? Right, right, right. It was a hard book to write. I mean, it's a two-pound book. And I remember I remember you have this, when, when a book, because it was two pounds, I was like two-thirds through it and nowhere near daylight. You know what I mean? I mean, I interviewed over 110 people for the book. I was no, I had notes. I had tapes. I had photos. I had everything all around my office. And I'm leaning on my computer, and I just, I, I had this dark night of the soul. Who is this? Who is this going to be for? Does anyone give a damn about the Hulk anymore? And and my friend Lottie didn't know I was working on the book. And she sent me the, that week's Family Guy. And Family Guy's opening credits that week were a shot-for-shot parody of the Incredible Hulk. And it was suddenly clear to me, okay, this is a cult thing. People know it and love it. And I knew I had to finish the book. And that, that literal, that shout-out on Family Guy literally gave me an impetus to finish it. That's awesome. So for 82 episodes, he travels town to town searching for a cure, which he never finds. The show ends six years. Well, it's canceled. Pro- probably was still at the height, right? It still was getting good ratings. But a new guy, come, new guy comes into town, shortens the season five, decides maybe this isn't going to happen anymore. There are two reasons for that. There have been a devastating Writers Guild of America strike. And that, that's also what finished Buck Rogers. You know, remember Buck Rogers had that abbreviated second season. What happened is basically, unless you had fantastic ratings, you were going down. Hulk was an expensive show and it still had a big following, but it, the ratings were middling and compared to like something like Dallas. So it was easier to euthanize the Hulk than, you know, to deal with the, the money and, and the facts and everything else. So they killed the show and you're wondering how it came back, right? I am wondering how it came back, yes. So what happens is Marvel Comics falls, they leave Cadence Industries and everything else, and they fall into the hands of Harry Evans Sloan, New World Pictures, low-budget production house. Uh, they make fun junk like Blood Fist. They would make stuff like uh, Angel about the teenage honor student who's also a Hollywood hooker. Now they've got Marvel Comics. And Marvel Comics, Marvel Comics of the year they took over, and I think 87, 87, 88, Marvel Comics was only known for two things in live action. One was the Hulk TV series, and the other was the year before's ginormous bomb of uh, Howard the Duck. 
And they saw how well Hulk was doing in syndication. The, the series was syndicated across the country, incredibly popular overseas and in Europe. So they decided to make a deal with HB to bring the Hulk back. And Lou Ferrigno got pumped up. He looked really good in the, in the, the return movies. So they do the Incredible Hulk Returns, which is they bring back two bad guys from the series. They bring back Charles Napier and they bring back uh, Mickey Jones. And this time they, they decided to pair the Hulk off with an actual Marvel character. And that's when they brought in Eric Kramer as the Hulk. As, as Thor. I know, sorry, as a Thor. Sorry, yeah. So they bring it in. They make a low-budget Hulk versus Thor fight and everything else. And it creams everything else on TV that way. It, it kills it kills everything in its time slot. It gets huge ratings. So that means it's time for the trial of the Incredible Hulk because legal shows were really popular at the time. LA Law and movies like Jagged Edge. So the next one is they bring in Daredevil and uh, and the Kingpin, you know, into an Incredible Hulk. Well, the ratings are still huge for that. It, it was up against a Joe Beth Williams uh, TV movie, I think, about Baby M, you know, which was is something at the time about uh, a botched adoption. That was supposed to be the big Emmy winner ratings getter. And Troll the Incredible Hulk kills it. So then they do the death of the Incredible Hulk. And that also crushes everything in its time slot. And the thing is, they were not planning that to be the end of the Hulk. But I suspect Bixby wanted that to be the end. I, I don't have proof of this, but I think he had a beard in Troll the Incredible Hulk. I, I suspect he had a beard because his cancer had come back. He was probably trying to hide his gauntness. You know, I, I really do believe, because it was 10 years after the series, and they came back, got huge ratings, brought everything back. I think uh, uh, Jack McGee had had a couple of heart attacks by then, so he only shows up in the first pilot. And, of course, he had a comeback of his own in 1988 as the uh, as the tortured-to-death psychiatrist by Chucky the Doll in Child's Play. So uh, the death of the Incredible Hulk, uh, the female scientist tells me they were planning on going right back, getting right back into it. And they left the set standing and everything. But of course, it never happened. They had Revenge of the Incredible Hulk written by uh, an esteemed... Uh, oh, what's his name? The the guy who wrote... Uh, uh, he created the uh, the Packlet Aliens for Star Trek. He wrote in a big TV movie, big bombastic, how they brought back the Hulk, how they brought him back to life. The scientist couple from the last TV movie bring him back to life. But they can never get that going. You know, and I think part of it is, I think Bixby was sick again. And I think he saw with Death of the Incredible Hulk, it was a good excuse to tap out. Right, right. Because like you said, they there was a whole rebirth concept that they would. Because they never they never really kill any characters. But there was also a She-Hulk. There was, there was a tease in that where they he transfuses, right? Or something in, in one Very of those good. last No, movies. you're exactly right. Elizabeth Grayson, a former Miss America contestant. Elizabeth Grayson, she went on the star as a superhero eventually on Raven, uh, uh, a syndicated Highlander spinoff. Elizabeth Grayson, she plays in what is everything but name the Black Widow. It's clear she's the Black Widow. They never call her the Black Widow. I think the argument was Bixby had told the producers, if we're going to kill him off, I just want it to be him. You know, he goes, there's no need for another superhero to be there if I'm the one who's going out. You know what I mean? I mean, he just wanted the him and Lou. And that makes a lot of sense, actually. So they do that. Yeah, they do that. And then a couple of years later, they go to Jill, the uh, one of the co-writers from the Hulk TV series, and they say, we'd like to do a, a uh, uh, Jill Donner, Jill Sherman Donner. I had to remember that. Sorry, Jill. <laughs> so they go back to her. She writes a TV movie for them, you know, loosely based on the plot of Stan Lee's She-Hulk, Savage She-Hulk number one. And in it, she becomes, she's not related to Banner now. And they fall in love when she gives them after she gives them a blood transfusion after he gives her a blood transfusion. And her Hulk, the script's not, you know, the 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 concept they saddle her with isn't that great. She gets a blood transfusion, she turns into this gold, this gold giantess with red hair and green eyes. And her difficulty in the script is she's blinded by bright lights. And since half the script takes place in Vegas. They have the Lou Ferrigno Hulk has to come in and drag her off stage before she can be killed because she's completely like a deer in headlights when she's hit with bright lights. I don't think it would have made a very successful series. They had Mitzi Kaptur starring. A New World got really greedy. Mitzi Kaptur is a great actress. She's one of the she's the one true mother of syndicated TV, her and Baywatch. She did the show Silk Stockings. 
and they had her playing Jennifer, the, the Jennifer Walters character. And what happened there, New World got greedy and said, we need a name for the Banner character. So they had the, the perfectly great Mitzi. They had her shooting the pilot. And while this poor girl is shooting the pilot, they're trying to find a celebrity to play She-Hulk. And they have this terrible idea of getting Melissa Gilbert. And when Melissa Gilbert refuses to do it, they sort of give up on it and pull the plug on the project. If they filmed the pilot all the way through, they would have had a syndicated TV movie with the with one of the biggest 90s syndicated stars, Mitzi Kapture. Opportunity missed. Yeah, completely. So how would you define the legacy as a wrap as a wrap up? How would you define the legacy of the Hulk TV show? To me, it's the it's the first flag, it's the first flag in pulp culture laid by Marvel Comics. It put Marvel on the map. Hulk's sales were never great until the show came on, and then Hulk's sales were huge. You know, he was up there with X-Men and Spider-Man. It, it introduced the world to Marvel Comics done right. Even though there were a lot of compromises from the comic to the screen, it's the closest you got to a Marvel character until Blade in 1998, followed by, you know, X-Men. It was, Johnson captures the, the, the sadness and the tragedy of both the Banner character and his alter ego. And I would argue it's the first flag in pop culture. It's not a surprise that the Incredible Hulk pilot was done in 1977, the same year when pop culture went full on fantasy with the release of Star Wars. It was such a sonic boom in terms of superhero shows, especially in the 70s, where they were pushing back on the wonderful Batman TV series in the 60s. They didn't want to be accused of camp, so they did away with all costumes. If you watch the Spider-Man TV series, he is seldomly in the costume. If you watch the other superhero shows, I, I looked at them when I was working on the book. You look at stuff like The Man from Atlantis, and he spends the whole show running around in a windbreaker. I mean, there was no superhero uniforms or anything else. And with the Hulk, torn pants and green skin are his costume. So having him in that, it just it was the first introduction to the world to Marvel Comics and what they could do for Hollywood. Amazing wrap up. And then everyone, I do want you guys to check out You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, A Hulk Companion by Pat Jankowitz. And it is great. And it's, it covers tons of stuff. It takes you episode by episode. So if you, have, if you have a fondness for the show, a memory, or just kind of want to learn more about it, grab the book. It's great. There's stories about Rick Springfield in there, Rick Kim Cattrall, tons of other great stuff as well. There's a million little tidbits, great photos, all this great stuff. Pat, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for hanging with me and hulking out with me, if you will. Oh, no. The, Jim, how do you say your last name? I think I added an R to your name, but it's Dwaskin or? Yeah, Dwaskin. Yeah, I love that we both have those hard to pronounce Michigan names. Yeah, no, Jeff, thank you so much. People can order the book on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, forward by Lou Frigno. I also wrote the Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, a TV companion. And if you guys want sharks, even though you won't find them in Lake Erie, there is just when you thought it was safe, a Jaws companion too, for your reading enjoyment. Awesome. I'll have, I'll have you back and we'll talk about one of those books. That'll be fun. Jeff, it was a true pleasure, my friend. All right. How amazing with Pat Jankowitz. I know, right? Check out his book, You Wouldn't Like Me When I'm Angry, A Hulk Companion. Check out Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, a TV companion. And just when you thought it was safe, a Jaws companion. All Patrick Jankowitz classics. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the Incredible Hulk as much as I enjoyed diving into that show. How about that She-Hulk stuff, huh? Crazy, right? Well, eventually we got our She-Hulk. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. I know, it's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at Hashtag Roundup. Download the free, always free hashtag app from the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Follow us on Twitter at Hashtag Roundup. Tweet with us and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. This episode's hashtag is hashtag makes me want to Hulk out. Completely unrelated to this episode. I know it's a little off book, but had to do it. Uh, this Hulk tag comes from Hangover Tags and of course is inspired, of course. I can't fool you guys from our amazing interview with Pat Jankowitz on The Incredible Hulk. So what makes you Hulk out? Use hashtag makes me want to Hulk out. Tag us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. I'll show you some Twitter love. In the meantime, here are some previously tweeted hashtag makes me want to Hulk out tweets for inspiration. 
People who don't give you a courtesy wave when you let them in in traffic. I hate that. Watching the train leave the platform just as you arrive. Oh, that makes me want to hulk out. Bears, especially the robotic kind. Am I right? If you know, you know. These hashtag make me want to hulk out tweets are right on point. Your lack of blinker usage. If you're going to change lanes, let us know, people. When someone calls millennials old, (laughs) nosy hashtags poking around my business. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Boom. When I accidentally get my cousin's gamma radiation blood into my bloodstream. (laughs) All right, we had to throw in the She-Hulk. People being mean or abusive to dogs or cats. Hashtag makes me want to hulk out. Damn right. Work emails after hours. People walking in front of me and then stopping suddenly. Oh, nothing more annoying than that. Days that don't start with an S and end in a Y. Uh, Hashtag that makes me want to hulk out. Also asking me, what would Jesus do? (laughs) And our final hashtag makes me want to hulk out tweet. They put cilantro on a thing I asked for without cilantro. Ah, It's like, you know, my wife. All right, those were some amazing hashtag. Makes me want to hulk out tweets. I'll retweet it at Jeff DeWaskin Show. Go show him some Twitter love. Tweet your own. Have a good time. Well, with the hashtag over, that can only mean one thing. Time to hulk out. No, no, it means the end of the episode has arrived. I can't believe it either. Episode 175 has come and gone. Thanks to my special guest, author Pat Jankowitz. And thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word. And we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.